Another week, another episode of The Cone Zone here at WHIP. I'm your host, Sam Cohn, and we're going to take a step away from professional sports for a moment to talk some Temple basketball. These past two weeks have been an important stretch for the Owls in building their March resume. So today, we have Dan Wilson live and in the studio to help break things down. But before we get started, hit it, Marty. All right, this is, uh, this is an oldie, but, uh, well, it's an oldie where I come from. All right, guys, uh, listen, this is the Blues Riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? Dan, welcome in. We're going to talk some Temple Hoops. You psyched? You're making your debut on the Cone Zone. I'm very psyched. Thank you for having me, Sam. Uh, I would like to briefly mention, uh, I've been a fan of the podcast, first two episodes, good friends of ours, Sean Eliano and Ray Dunn. I would like to mention, though, Ray Dunn kind of took a little jab at me uh, in the intro last week, and that is just a sign. I would not have done the same thing. It's just a sign that I'm living rent-free in Ray's head. <laughs> And he is so concerned to beating me on this podcast, but I'm very happy to be here, uh, and I'm ready to one-up him and make this the better episode. He was a big fan of the shout-outs, but we're happy to have you. So, uh, first off, tell me a little bit, Temple Basketball, uh, you've seen this team for you know, more than just this year. What do you think the difference is uh, for this team compared to last year's team? Last year's team, 17-15 and 15 to finish the season, and a first-round exit in the NIT tournament. I mean, yeah, they've definitely looked better. At the end of the day, you start wondering how much better. You lo- you only lost two seniors in Josh Brown and Obi and Echeonia. These This is the final season for Shiz Alston Jr. and Ernest DeFlacby. And, of course, the glaring storyline that's just, like, blaringly obvious is this is the final season for Fran Dumphy. And that's not something that you usually see a team announcing. We're not bringing our coach back, but we're also saying that we're kind of giving him – a final victory lap and so that's been a really cool thing and I'm sure it has been for you too covering this team seeing how different schools especially the ones here in the Philly area respond to Fran Dumphy Mr. Big Five all-time winningest coach in the Big Five history kind of gets standing ovations and you know he's not necessarily the most receptive to it he's grateful but I, he, I think he said after the direct game he'd rather crawl under the bleachers and really get all the <laughs> recognition that he's getting so I came into the season wondering is this, are they going to kind of go out fighting for this guy, or are they just because they've already announced Aaron McKee's the next coach, and he's already on the staff. So I think Aaron McKee's done a great job at saying, you know, we're not going to worry about next year till next year. But at the same time, how much can you get out of this team? In the early going, team looked great. It was the best start in nine years. But yesterday's loss to Cincinnati almost, and tell me if you think this is a justified take, because I've been toying with this a little bit. They feel like the Sixers a little bit, and every time they get to a really big win, the Houston win was huge, but every time they get to a game yesterday like Cincinnati or playing a really good team, or they you know they lose 77-70 to 70 to Penn, they're a team that's still struggling to get over that hump, and they've been on the bubble, and Gillinardi's last bracket, which actually came out before yesterday's game, has them as one of the next four out, so they're still riding that bubble. Yesterday's loss didn't help, and now they're forcing themselves into a situation where you know, they maybe really need to win this Houston game. That's uh, the Houston game in Houston, which is harder. The team's been much better at home. They're, they're struggling with a lot of depth. Uh, Nate Pierre-Louis, Quentin Rose, and Shiz Alston Jr., I think are the three leaders still in AAC minutes. They're got, those guys are winded, and it's maybe because of the lack of depth on this team. You can't really go to anywhere else. Yesterday, the offensive rebound got out, offensive rebound 16-3 to by Cincinnati. That can't continue to happen. And so they're a team who's good, but 
you know, at the moment probably not good enough, and they have about a month and a half to prove otherwise. Yeah, for sure. And, Dan, you bring up a lot of really good points about the way this team has evolved this year. But um, that idea of the, the Cincy game, the Houston game, we'll get to that. But these last 10, ga- these last 10 days, uh, three games and this uh, Houston game coming up on Thursday – to me feels like the most important stretch that this team is facing all year. So I kind of want to dive into that, each one of those games individually. So let's start with the Penn game. They fell to Penn nine days ago, 77-70, to and that was their first home loss. That was up against Fran Dunphy's former assistant coach when he was at Penn, Steve Donahue, and that was a game that really showed that Ernest Aflacqui is has the potential to really take over a game. 21 and 15 to finish the day seemed to be the only thing that went well for the Owls that day, and it was Penn's, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, Jakob Mijakowski, they call him Kuba. Uh, he lit it. He torched the temples. He lit it up from deep. He hit four threes in just the first half, uh, and Penn really, a lot of what they did was work their ball through A.J. Broder. He was he was kind of the man for Penn. He was the one that really set up the offense and as such a threat and the you know the the top guy on the scouting report, Temple did a lot of work to to contain him, which gave other guys on that team a chance. And then of course, Jake Silpe, I think is how you say his Silpe. name. Silpe. Silpe, excuse yeah. me, Silpe, uh, iced the game with a dagger three in the final minute to close out the Owls any chance of really uh, finishing coming back in that final stretch. But Temple shot 27% from deep, and that was the game that they lost their chance at a Big Five title. So, A, what are your first impressions on this game? And B, how what do you think the importance is of that Big Five title for these guys? Well, I'm glad you mentioned Ernest Aflacpe because he's a guy that certainly has shown that he can have good games. It's maybe too few and far between of what this team needs. He had eight offensive rebounds in that game. They absolutely could have used that yesterday against Cincinnati. And the second thing is, Unfortunately, Ernest Aflacby can't be your best player on the court. You have to get something out of Shazalston Jr., Quentin Rose, Nate Pierre-Louis, and they didn't really, and they never kind of got going. And Quentin Rose has been, unfortunately, the type of player where it seems like in the first five or ten minutes of the game, you know whether you're getting an on or off game from him. For sure. It's whether and he hits that first shot. It's whether he hits the first shot, which it's like a total game changer. Mm-hmm. And so these like wild inconsistencies combined with you know, your second unit. I mean, you're looking at those big three, Ernest Aflacby, Devondre Perry, who's basically in for defense, Alani Moore, who's unfortunately a bit of a you know, defensive liability. J.P. Mormon, who played really well yesterday. He had a career-high 20 points. But you're just not – Damian Moore really hasn't looked that strong lately. Justin Hamilton uh, has kind of been a bit of an undisciplined defender. He had tw- in the Memphis game, I think just 12 minutes he fouled out. Same thing with Ernest Aflacby. It's too easy to foul these guys out. So that's kind of been a de- inconsistency for Ernest and also – you need to pair those good games up with good games from one of your guards. As far as the Big Five titles concerned, I think they definitely want it, and especially Shiz Austin Jr., a Philadelphia basketball historian who grew up in Philly, went to the Haverford School out on the main line, but his dad played at Temple, and you don't need to tell him twice about winning the Big Five. I'm sure he would have loved to, I mean, he has openly said he would have loved to win the Big Five. Temple was running the Big Five when he grew up. He wanted it really, really badly, and I'm sure it pisses him off that in his fourth year he basically didn't get it done and it would have been really cool to get it in Fran Dumphy's final year even if it was a share of the big five title with Penn and this year was really open because Villanova's basically run at the two-time national champions in the last three years and Penn beats them and now you're like okay well beating Penn is an attainable thing and they can't do it and so now Penn sweeps the big five this season so it really meant something to them I'm sure 
more so Shiz than even the rest of the team, but it would have been a really cool thing. But at the end of the day, and he said this too, he would trade that in a heartbeat for an NCAA tournament bid, and now that's what they're kind of focused on. So it's a little bit of in the rearview mirror. It'll be worth it if they can find them themselves a tournament bid and squeak in something. Yeah, Dan, you took the words right out of my mouth. Shiz is a, a Philadelphia basketball player. That's who he is at heart, and he would have loved the Big Five title, but again, if they can get this NCAA tournament bid at the end of the day, that's really what they're here to play for. The statistic of Earn kind of going off in that pen game, to me, that just reinforced the idea, and this is something we've talked about before, is that the reason Temple has had such success this year is they have almost a pecking order of if one guy can't light it up, you, we were talking, we just say, you go to the next guy. You go to the next guy. Uh, if Quentin Rose, if the ball's not falling, Shiz going to make something happen. If Shiz can't get the ball to fall, Nate Pierre-Louis is going to step up. J.P. Mormon's going to step up. And in this game, Ernest the Flackby was the one to step up, putting up 21 points and 15 rebounds and a huge double-double. It wasn't enough to win the game. So very, it's very evident that it can't just be your one guy has to make it happen you have to have these pairings up pairing up of 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 guys working together and somebody else has got to make something happen but it does go to show that they have other options to score the ball or to make something happen yeah before the broadcast yesterday me and chris kofsky before going on for the or chris kofsky and i should say before going on for the pregame show we were looking up and down the cincinnati roster and we were looking okay they're they're led by jerron cumberland who it looked like for a half there they were able to contain and he went ballistic in the second half yeah but and you heard Penny, Penny Hardaway say it on Thursday in his press conference. You can't win with only hero ball. You can't be led by one team. I mean, there are exceptions that teams go pretty far. You know, the Buddy Heald team, the Buddy Heald Oklahoma team. Even the Ben Simmons LSU the team. The Ben Simmons LSU But that team didn't even make the tournament. Yeah. And that was such a knock they were on winning, Simmons. They were winning games with, ben, with just Ben with Simmons. With just Ben Simmons. And that was a knock on Simmons, if you remember. Like his draft stock, like some, a team shouldn't pick him because he can't lead an LSU team to the tournament. I would argue that was an incorrect take. We have a, a separate show on what Ben Simmons' <laughs> NBA stock is right now. But sticking with Temple is that we looked up and down the Cincinnati roster and we're like, they don't necessarily do, and we were looking at some of their previous games. You know, Cumberland is a really strong player, but top to bottom, it's not like they do anything extraordinary or out of this world that Temple is incapable of beating them. It's just they, a lot of times, seem like they let other teams make the mistakes. They're good top to bottom. They have a number of players they can rely on. They don't have to run their stars on the ground. That's one thing that I'm really going back to my point about the three, the big three for Temple, Napier-Louis, Quentin Rose, and Shizalton Jr. playing so many minutes is, I mean, these guys, you saw maybe a little at the end of the game yesterday, but we're only in January. By the time we get through February and March, these guys are going to be winded. Mm -hmm. And it's really because Fran Dumphy's had his hand forced a little, and maybe it stems back to in the college game, well, maybe, you know, he should have recruited a little bit better, should have built the team a little bit different. But there's such a a large kind of piano on their back. Like, so much rise. It's almost like a top, a very top-heavy team. A very top-heavy team, and so... And they, and do, they do have this ability to get a little bit of depth, but it's an inconsistent kind of depth. It's, and it, it's a very inconsistent Because Justin depth. Hamilton will play every other game, every third game maybe, and he'll he'll do okay sometimes. He'll play really well other times. It kind of depends on the matchups he's getting. Alani Moore will have one game where he's just an absolute pest on defense and is huge for the Owls, and he'll have other games where he really doesn't make much of an impact at either end of the floor. Damian Moore, as you were saying, has been in a bit of a slump, but early in the season he looked really good, especially in that Houston game. He came up big for the um, for the Owls throughout a majority of the game. It was just a big body in the post. But uh, if you're okay with it, I think we should we can transition into this Memphis game, which was their only win in the last three games, which has been surprising. But this was 
the best Temple basketball I think I've seen all year. Right out of the gate, they were on fire. And it just goes to show, Quinn Rose with five threes on the night, 26 points, he came out and hit four threes in the first couple minutes. Then and you knew you were getting a good game. Exactly, uh, yeah. You knew exactly what you were getting from the start. Temple was up 20 and uh, then at one point, and then Memphis brought it within three, which is a pattern we've seen this year where Temple gets this big lead and then they just blow it. Uh, something that happened again in the Cincinnati game, but we'll get to that. Uh, the big thing in that, the big storyline of that game was J.P. Mormon the second got ejected on a flagrant two foul. So I guess first, what are your, what were your thoughts on that call? What did so you, see? you actually had a better angle on it than I did. I was mm-hmm. up in the broadcast booth, opposite end of the corner, like couldn't be further away. Yep. You were uh, courtside on that end of the floor. I, in real time, and I've since seen a video of it, thought that. It wasn't malicious intent. You know, Mormon, I think it was a really hard basketball play. Maybe got caught up a little bit in the moment. He just didn't want to allow a breakaway bucket. I think it should have been, in hindsight, I said it at the time after seeing the video, I think a fair assessment might have been a flagrant one. But as we know, both in the NBA and college game, they're really trying to crack down on that stuff, you know, hitting, what would they call it, a, a defenseless drive or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah, I figure with the terminology they use in basketball, you see it in football and you see it in basketball too, they're really, the NCAA in particular is trying to protect its athletes. So I get it. Should they have ejected them? I, no, I think a flagrant one probably would have been appropriate. And when this rule is really going to come to fruition is when some really good player, you know, probably better, a more prominent player than J.P. Mormon gets thrown out of an NCAA tournament game, then we're going to have a national debate about this. Exactly. But we're talking about this on a much smaller scale. Was it the worst call I've ever seen? No. I understand they're trying to crack down just as long as you can call it, call it consistently, which is something very difficult to do. But, you know, it kind of – we really saw a strategy change and some lineup changes that we hadn't seen out of Fran Dumphy all season as a result of that, as, as a result of both a flak P and Justin Hamilton fouling out. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and just back to that call – the, what I saw uh, down, kind of down the stretch of that of J.P. Mormon meeting a guy at the rim, Temple played an incredibly well couple minutes of basketball leading up to that. They had all the momentum in the world, and all they wanted to do was make plays. So when J.P. Mormon saw a guy drive to the rim, all he wanted to do was get on Sports Center and stuff that ball right or back. Just, in or his just face. stop the basket from scoring. Yeah, no you, easy buckets. I, you right? saw, you saw, I saw a look in his eyes. Like, it probably lit up. It probably I, lit. Yeah, I, he, it was like a kid in a candy store. He's like, I just want to make this play. I want to send this kid right back home. And yeah, he got up and you right when he right when the Memphis player hit the floor, he was right to his JP Mormon was right to his rescue to make sure he was okay, he wasn't hurt. And it was a little crack of the wrist maybe, but it wasn't anything serious. But JP definitely was concerned that he didn't want to over hurt he didn't want to hurt him. He had no intention of hurting him. So I think a flagrant one, as you were saying, would have been a more a fairer call, but I can appreciate why they gave him the flagrant two. Now, in that game, Memphis finished the day one for twenty three from deep. And at the end of the day, you can't win basketball games shooting one for 23 from beyond the arc. That Yeah, that's really kind of the concern I had is, you know, Temple goes out and beats Memphis. But what if Memphis, you know, makes a couple more threes? Mm-hmm. I, I think McCronin said yesterday in the press conference, for whatever reason, no one seems to be able to shoot in the Leah Core Center in the AAC. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about opposing teams. And it's not even, you know, Temple, it's not like it's a huge flaw of their defending the three, though they've had some issues with kind of situational defense this year. But teams, I guess, have off shooting nights playing Temple. Now, that's a strong thing, but at the same time, once someone has a good shooting night, they're really going to be in trouble because they're struggling to play 40 minutes. They're blowing these leads, and teams are finding way finding ways to stay in the game without shooting the ball particularly well from three. It's going to be an issue. I mean, say Memphis shot the ball, you know, 7 for 23 or 8 for 23 from three. 
the game obviously takes a huge change. Yeah, and to me, one thing that I that I've really admired that Temple does is on defense they play very disciplined help defense, which really limits the uh, the scoring under the hoop. So if you can kind of work to contain that three point shot and not even let them get up twenty three. 23 uh, shots beyond the arc. I think that changes the game a little bit. They were just incredibly lucky that Memphis couldn't hit anything. And that was another game that Shiz, Devondre Perry, and Alani Moore all scored 10-plus uh, points. So that goes to show that when you have... You got multiple, a little bit of depth, Exactly. Right? When you when the guy, when your depth shows and your depth performs well, you know, Temple's an unbelievable... It opens up a lot more options. I'm glad you brought up the defensive discipline because I have no doubt that this team kind of, as far as being coached defensively. They've instilled a Temple toughness or a defensive attitude, if you will, regarding you know how to guard other teams. And Nate Pierre-Louis, Fran Dunphy, the word he keeps using is hound because he does not, he gives 100, he goes 100 miles an hour on every play. It was the end of the Houston game, I believe, where they actually, I guess you could say, were so disciplined that they weren't, where Nate Pierre-Louis just didn't switch on the final play and they, Ernest Flackby took a game-winning charge essentially to bail everybody out. But so he was so glued to his man that, you know, as far as making the switch or stuff like that, that they turned out to be undisciplined. They left two guys op- wide open under the net. The clock played was played as a defender and figured who it was who was driving but drilled right into Ernest and he just got himself in the right spot, you know, thank goodness for the Owls. But at the same time, you know, as far as how this team guards overall, it's the, it's... Sometimes you see, I don't know if defensive lapses is the right word, because I, I don't know if they're really taking plays off, but sometimes they look a bit out of sorts, and generally it comes in that stretch of the game where it seems like nothing is going right, and that's where the lead kind of closes. I think it's fair to say that that Penn game and the Memphis game were two very different Temple teams, and just performance-wise in the Penn game, they really struggled to get anything going offensively, other than Ernest Aflacqui, who had said in his post-game press conference that it really just came down to Shiz finding him under the hoop. He didn't really do much, but I think it showed a lot of... Uh, they just struggled against a certain kind of defense. You know, Penn, Penn played a great basketball game. Steve Donahue is a great coach, but in that Memphis game, they came out just guns a-blazing. They yeah. couldn't... They could get... And everything was going their way offensively. And two very different coaching matchups. Steve Donahue, a guy who you know used to work with Fran Dumphy, is coaching at Penn, a little bit more experienced. They're going up against Penny Hardaway. Not that he can't be a great coach, but he's still in his first year. He's still in the kind of figure-it-out sort of phase. And so the kind of the strategy to beat Temple might come a little bit easier to a guy like Steve Donahue or a guy like Mick Cronin as far as what it is to beat these te- to beat this team, what are the flaws. There was a great article yesterday. It was the game recap. I'm going to shout out uh, John DiCarlo, who's actually our, you know, overhead staff member here at WHIP is that it seems like the cat's a little bit out of the bag as far as you know forcing the depth upon Temple and good teams seem to be able to do it as far as you know double teaming Shiz on defense and that really takes him out of the game it really takes a guy like Ernest the last couple out of the games game. we've seen that Shiz really hasn't had he had a stretch of just unbelievable offensive play offensive firepower hitting every shot that came his way uh, and, you know, just kind of taking over basketball games. His last three games, four games, he's really been a little out of it. Defense kind of understand that he's the guy they're looking to. Ever yeah. since that game winner he hit, he, uh, teams are game planning a little differently. Yeah, he's shooting 27.9% from the field in the last three games. So when you're able to take him out of the game, it kind of falls the domino. And I never really, you know, I'm watching the game and you're sitting there, you know, realizing that they're 
really trying to other teams are putting defensive focus on shiz but at the same time what that causes for the rest of the team is just so detrimental and it's really hard to overcome that especially when the depth of the team has been an issue and a third very very different game i'm telling you these last 10 days have been wacky for for temple basketball but before we get into this one i have to give myself a shout out Go for it. I don't care. <laughs> um, before, after the Memphis game, I had a chance to talk to Quentin Rose one-on-one uh, in hopes of writing a feature piece about his headband and kind of what that means to him. So I was able to get the feature piece released about Quentin Rose, his headband, and his more, more importantly, his involvement in Temple basketball these last three years now that he's a junior. And I was able to release it the night before the Cincinnati game, which was also his birthday. Uh, Saturday was his birthday, I believe. Saturday was his yeah. birthday. Sunday was the game. Sunday was the game, yeah. And coming into the Cincinnati game, Quinn Rose, Shiz Alston, Alani Moore, Nate Pierre-Louis, J.P. Mormon, all headbands. I don't want to make any assumptions, but there has to be something there. I have to get some kind of credit from somebody for You everybody. absolutely should, and I didn't hear <laughs> any respect credit. I don't mean to, you know... It could be complete. Now, I'm not sure at this point. I just, just to kind of complete the story here, I'm not sure how much credit you want because yesterday in the press conference, Shiz was asked about the headband, and he said he's never going to wear it, and he said he's never going (laughs) to do it again. So I'm not sure if you necessarily want to make it so public that you were the reason they wore the headbands. You could be. They they could start blaming you for yesterday's loss. That's fair, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take a different path for blaming yesterday's loss. Go for it. it. Has nothing to do with the way they played. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think Sunday it had to do with the headbands games, either. Sunday games at noon is the worst, the worst. time for Are basketball. the worst. As someone who has spent a huge portion of their life playing basketball, there is nothing worse than a Sunday day game. Day games by themselves are kind of are kind of horrible. But on a Sunday day game, nobody plays well. There is literally nothing worse. So if Cincinnati, a team that has uh, been criticized for strength of schedule and whether they're really – uh, a tournament team sitting at second, I believe, in the AAC. They they picked a great game and a great scheduled time to play Temple and really take us down. Temple on the not, road, no less. On the, like, yeah, exactly. and in a close game, which Temple it was only their second loss in a game decided by five or less points this year. Only their second loss at home this year, and that's of course they didn't have any home losses until the Pen. Exactly. And now in this last three game stretch, they have two. Notoriously, they are incredible at home. But J.P. Mormon lit it up with a career-high 20 points on three threes. I don't know if you noticed this, but it felt to me every possession they're using a in the, in the second in the first half every possession they were getting that corner three. They did very they did an incredible job of getting that corner three, and they were knocking it down with some with some consistency. The team did a great job in the first half offensively. In the second half, down at the other end of the floor. It felt like every possession they used almost the entire shot clock. Every this is the first game I went to as a fan, not covering. Okay. And it felt like every possession, every other possession, I'm hearing the Cherry Crusade five, four, four three. three. Yeah. They're using and they're not. No one's moving on offense. They're not really creating anything. It's just they looked lackluster. They looked lackluster. They looked out of it, and they couldn't get anything going offensively. They shot 37 percent from deep, and they left 12 points at the free throw line, finishing 19 for 31 as a team it was just a very sloppy second half not to mention Cincinnati had 46 rebounds Temple had just 20. So the thing with Mick Cronin in that Cincinnati game was a lot of it was coaching you know second half adjustments getting Jerron Cumberland going on the offensive end but also defensively he said in the post-game press conference their game plan was to take away the corner three did a much better job of that they really were forcing Temple's hand kind of making them go deep into shot clocks forcing up bad shots 
and that was really kind of just a huge reason. That's the difference between a veteran coach such as Mick Cronin and maybe what you get in a Penny Hardaway who's still kind of figuring things out. Yeah, you're right. I think uh, the defensive end was a huge part of that game. So looking forward, Thursday, uh, Temple is traveling to Houston. What do you think are some keys to that game? What do you think Temple can do? Because that's a big one for Temple moving forward. They have, uh, The Cincinnati game was a, was a step back in terms of trying to you know keep their March resume alive, and this Houston game is huge for them, and taking that step forward. So what do you think are some, some keys to this Houston game, who they've already played, and that was actually Houston's only other Only loss of the season, yeah. They beat them by four. Quinton Rose had was the leading scorer, 22 points in that game. But, you know, you look it up and down the box, where, uh, you know, Napier Louis, four for eight, got to the foul line a decent amount. But Shiz Alston Jr. was three for 15. Quinton Rose didn't shoot particularly efficiently, uh, six for 18. This is a big game that we mentioned earlier, you know, Houston has... Marked on their schedule, there's been some trash talking going back and forth on tw- back and forth on Twitter between Napier Louis and Corey Davis Jr. It's a game where you probably need two of those th- three guys to really have a strong game and stronger games than they did here at home. It's going to take every ounce, and still Houston's a difficult team. They're now ranked 13th, so it's going to take a full all-around team effort. You're probably going to need two, at least two of the three between Quentin Rose, Napier Louis, and Shazalston Jr. They're going to have to defend better than they have been recently, and also play a full 40 minutes. Yeah, I think you're right. It's gonna definitely going to come down to, I think for me, I think it's going to come down to defense because we've said this before, the Temple finds ways to score the basketball. If someone isn't, someone else will step up and make plays. So they're going to put the ball in the hoop. The question is, can they contain Houston's offense at their place to, uh, to you know hold this team and come out with a win on Thursday night? So... Is this team? Is this Owls team after losing to Cincy and losing to Penn, but grabbing that Memphis win? Is this still a tournament team? At the moment, if the tournament was to start now, you know I think the consensus is no. I think Joe Lenardi's last bracket, even before the Cincinnati game, had them on the outside looking in. They're going to drop down further there. I, I think you mentioned earlier that you know Jay Billis had them 52 out of 68 teams about a week or so ago, and that might have been a bit of a generous ranking. I think they were doing well, but unfortunately losses like that, especially at home, are going to hurt their chances. They're still capable of making the NCAA tournament, even in the AAC, where it could be a somewhere between a two- to four-bid conference. They're going, they're going to have to play better. A win against Houston would be huge. They're going to have to win games such as the UCF game at the end of the season. They might have to do well in the conference tournament. They're capable, but unfortunately, I think if you had to, if there was money riding on it, and you asked me to bet right now, does this team look like a tournament team? Based on what I saw... You know, the other day against Cincinnati, I, I don't know. I guess I would probably lean more towards no, but it's very still within reach. Yeah, I think they're definitely at that bubble spot. So they're 15 and five overall right now. They're five and two in conference play, and they're ranked fourth in the AAC. The only two games they have left this season that feel like monstrous games in terms of building that resume is the Houston game and the UCF game at the end of the season. The other 11 games they have for the rest of the season are all hands down winnable games, the games they should come out with a win. And I, the reason I want to put this team in the tournament is they have showed great stretches of playing very well. They've had a bit of inconsistency. So the question is, can they find that consistency in this last stretch, in this last month? And you look at it and you say they probably have to win at least one of those games, if not both, For to sure. get back in the NCAA tournament. They've been good at beating up on teams that they should beat on. It's them turning that corner and proving that they can beat other tournament-caliber teams to prove their worthiness in the field. If they win those 11 games but you know lose to Houston, lose to uh, UCF in the final day of the season, the committee is going to look at it, short of them you know, going making a really deep AAC tournament run or even winning the AAC tournament to get the automatic bid. That's the kind of thing that 
committee is going to look at and say every time they had a real test, they came up short. So Houston, Thursday night, prime time, a huge game for the Owls. Let's hope we can bring you back on for a show in March and talk some uh, talk some Temple basketball. I, I would love to. Come the time yeah. for some madness. That would be that would be a lot of fun. So Dan, thanks for coming on the show today. Of really course. appreciate having you. And go Owls. Have a great day, everybody.